Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Matt, and welcome to Pod Wraiths, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing both our deep and irreverent thoughts on our favorite Star Trek series. This week, we're talking about Season 3, Episode 22, Explorers. Teleplay by Renee Echeverria, whose name I still have trouble pronouncing, and directed by Cliff Bull. This episode aired on May 8th, 1995. This week on Deep Space Nine, dudes rock! I mean, Cisco builds a replica of an 800-year-old Bajoran spaceship and tries to use it to prove that Bajoran explorers could have made it to Cardassia without developing warp drive. So Elise, we'll start this episode the same way we do every night, Pinky, trying to take over the world and asking, did you remember this episode? I just want to say that I absolutely love that I am Pinky in this scenario. Um, vaguely, yes. I remembered Cisco flying the sailboat vessel. <laughs> That's what I'm calling it. And I kind of remember Dukat's like... S- have like funny speech at the end where he's just like we can get to it but he's like oh yeah we found this uh crash site (laughs) while you were doing all of this i remembered that part what a weird coincidence yes that's exactly what my mom said (laughs) like because she was watching it with me um but yeah like she said it like before cisco did i think but yeah that was very funny um so I guess half and half. I didn't really remember the Julian bits. Did you remember the um, Cisco? Or I guess they're both Ciscos. The <laughs> ben and, and and Jake stuff on like the father son trip. Like, did that? Um, I didn't remember any of it except for the part where Jake says that he met, like, has someone he wants Ben to meet. So I didn't remember right. like about the writing school. Or um, anything about that, but I definitely remembered um, Jake saying, oh, I met someone that wants to meet you. Um, And I definitely feel like it's because I love romance, and so I'm going to remember when Jake (laughs) wants to set his dad up on a date. Yeah, I... And I think, too, I mean, we we may or may not get more into it later, but uh, the first time I saw this episode, either in 95 or, or shortly after, obviously I can't, can't recall explicitly, um, I thought the Pennington School was real. I mean, to be fair, <laughs> Pennington is like a town in New Jersey, so like, I feel like there probably is a school called that. Fair enough, fair enough. But I was like, oh, yeah, this is probably some prestigious writing academy that I never heard of. And I didn't realize it was like the Dijkstra Institute where it's it's fake and made up. Um, And I went on thinking that a lot longer than I'd like to admit. And it wasn't until there's a, a series of books that occur during the original series era. Um, the Star Trek Vanguard series, and there's a journalist character in that with the last name Pennington, and it's supposed to be in in the beta canon in that book, Trek Lit universe. He's the one who the school's named after, and I'm like, wait, it's not real? So, you know. <laughs> so there is a Pennington school in New Jersey. Um, I was right. <laughs> well, it's they like, got the new part right, but it's yeah. Jersey, not Zealand. Yeah, it's like, um, it's actually... It's in Pennington, New Jersey, and it's just like a prep school. It's like a college. Like, Maybe that could be an honorable mention for like most Star Trek thing. Whenever like 
Star Trek is like creating something on Earth. They put it in New Zealand because, like, in, in Voyager, <laughs> the the penal colony where Janeway goes to convince Tom Paris to join the mission is, I think, right. in New Zealand as well. So, just so everyone is aware, the Pennington School is about thirty minutes from my house. That's the re- only reason I like it sounded familiar because that well, is don't an dox yourself. Town. No, I could say I live near. Like, <laughs> it's fine. I mean, no one's listening to this anyway, so I'm not too worried about it. Um, or all the people that are listening to it are all our friends, anyway, who probably have my address. I don't think it's embarrassing to, like, have thought it was real, though. I mean, you know, I just thought it was, like, a, a fun, a fun anecdote, you know? For sure. But, um, Ben gets a goatee in this episode, which is a look that... He pretty much has for the rest of this show, although his hair is not the same for the rest of the show. So that's like another change that comes. But it's kind of um, I didn't realize that was going to happen in this episode. Yeah. And it, and it's interesting, too, because I think we've we've might have talked about this before, but the um, what we left behind DS9 documentary yes. kind of goes into this a bit where like they're starting to let avery brooks look like avery brooks and be less studio interferency um systemically racist quite honestly because that executive who talked about in the documentary i don't think he was was saying what i think he thought he was saying and coming off the way he thought he was coming off um but yeah they're it's they're letting avery brooks like a look like avery brooks like more even like his look from a man called hawk or like spencer for hire like earlier that the the goatee and you know the the different you know, hairstyle that's coming and things like that. And it's like, yeah, he's not clean shaven for the rest of the series. And I think that that works for him. Yes. Agree. And it's like, I think too, without like going too, too far ahead, I think this is also like the a visual signifier of them really letting Cisco be unapologetically black. Because um, I don't know if they've really acknowledge that at this at this point and again like you can do the like well it's the future and we've somehow made racism disappear like you, like you can 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 talk around it if you want but like i think as ds9 further carves out its own identity and now ira is is show running it because because voyagers started and you know the studios are like focused on voyager because it's a ship and being you know the the flagship show and things like that um ds9 can frankly get even more interesting than it than it has been because it comes further and further unbeholden to kind of the whole like next generation modalities i don't know what modalities means like the mo like the like it's like less beholden to like um the tng like mold right whereas like Rangers basically doing like tng type stories no no no. i Um, i get what you're saying i just thought it was easier than just googling it like quietly to just Admit well, now that I'm worried I, I used sure. it. Like, <laughs> now I'm worried I, I used it incorrectly. This is great podcasting. Oh. Oh no, I didn't. The second definition is a particular mode in which something exists or is experienced or expressed. Yeah. Look at me using. I think I just ten dollar words. It's just a. There's a lot of words I just don't know. That's all. That was a me thing. Um, I, I, I do feel like that is one of the. I think it's interesting that you comment on that because i don't mean what what i'm about to say is not about race but i do think that the 
B-plot with Julian actually talks a lot about how this series is different than the other series. And this is something that I just came to me. The fact, and not to get too ahead, but like Julian's classmate that was on this other vessel, the vessel everyone wanted to work for, like it turns out that life was kind of boring for her. So it's interesting that, like, because Julian gets to be in the same area all the time, he can do more, like, long studies and actually see things progress. And so it, from that perspective, it also separates the series from the other series that we're doing exploration. Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. Um, and I, like, I think the, like, yeah, no, that's fair don't think i have anything else more to say on that i found Lisa, this... do you have any oh go ahead <laughs> you can still ask me <laughs> was there anything else you wanted to to bring up in initial thoughts before we kind of dive into the the b plot of the episode of course um yes while i don't think this episode moved a lot around moved a lot of plot around um it was a lot of fun and did not feel I hate when people are like, oh, that's just filler. That's a filler episode. Um, I think it's okay to just sit with our characters for a bit. It doesn't always have to change things, but like we can get to know them more in an episode. And I think that's what part of the episode, that's what this episode does for me. It's fun. And I love when we get to see Ben and Jake have father-son time. And we actually see them having like real conversations about their lives and what they want to do especially jake we we i mean we know that i don't remember like how if we knew that he was has been writing that much but not to spoil it but to me jake's a writer so this is really a big deal from that perspective where he explains to his father how into it he is and such and i just think that that's really nice and julian is always interesting to visit with and i really like that we get to see some of his anxieties in this episode because I feel like they're very relatable. So while this episode may not have like changed the world of Deep Space Nine, I do think um, it was it rounded out the characters a little bit. Yeah, and I think that this is the type of episode that <laughs> I kind of miss in a lot of the like contemporary like live action shows who tend to have whether it's like discovery or or picard's strange new worlds less so because it's it's following more of that kind of tng or tos mode a little bit with the kind of episodic nature right um but like discovery and picard have these big kind of grandiose epic stories and again they're they're doing like 10 episode seasons as opposed to like 24 or 26 so they're, they're trying to tell their story as as efficiently as possible but like we don't really get to sit with the characters in the same way and that's something that i i enjoy doing so yes agree so i would say that this episode kind of has an a plot and a b plot and they're not really related to each other at all um which I think, or it could be, um, I- <laughs> I'm joking here, but there could be a tiny little, there would have been kind of funny if, like, we had, like, a little C-plot of, like, Cork and Morn's, um, bet stakes for Julian. <laughs> um, so the B-plot is basically just Julian's anxiety about his classmate coming to Deep Space Nine, 
and how everyone on board basically knows about this rivalry that he has in his head, I will say. <laughs> um, and I just think it's like, I felt it just felt so relatable to me because it would, this would be something that like, I would, I would build up in my brain and then the other person would be like, oh, I didn't even know you. <laughs> like, that was very funny to me. Yeah, I was a very, I don't, I don't even think of you at all. Or like, yeah, you know, <laughs> yes. Well, somehow moment, I didn't, right? somehow I didn't come up with that meme joke and I'm a little disappointed in myself. Um, so when Bashir graduated the medical academy, he was the salutatorian um, and this woman who I feel really bad I did not catch her name <laughs> in the episode, but um, she was the valedictorian of Bashir's class and she got a job on the Lexington, which was apparently the job everyone in his class wanted, um, except for him. He wanted to be on Deep Space Nine, which I think is very obvious even since his first episode. Um I felt like that really tracked with everything we know about Julian. He wanted to study frontier medicine. Elizabeth Lentz. Thank you. Before she arrives, though, we meet someone named Lita that is in Quarks, who is very adorable and <laughs> is, like, faking sick to meet Julian, is, is my interpretation of this <coughs> Um, yeah, the the fake cough was, was amazing. Um, and Julian was so, like, smooth with it. He was like, oh, I feel a cough coming on as well. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. Um, and so, da so Dax comes by to, like, tell him about, um, to say hi, and I guess to tell him that the Lexington is coming. And I really enjoyed that little bit where um julian basically like it's like oh i have this i have this uh report for you to look at and it literally is just a pad that says go away go away yeah <laughs> um i'm really glad that dax um did not give julian away and was just like all right i'm gonna go look at this now it was it was very cute but then as she's leaving she's like oh by the way the lexington's coming yeah then, you know like yeah, and then Julian's like, "What? Wait, what?" And like, I think the interesting thing for me too that I think kind of like rings true is that this rivalry that that Julian has with with Elizabeth, um, it's totally in his own head, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. But that like just not... it just feels really true though, because yeah. I've had. Like, think about when you say something, even as something as small as like, oh, I said something really embarrassing. For the most part, no one's remembering that except for you. Um, like, it's more, it's more of a memory for the person who was struggling with it. Or, or, And so clearly, he was having this huge struggle with the fact that he got that one question wrong on the final exam, which is something that comes keeps coming up. Um this is either this this is the second time that they've mentioned it on the show. Um so it's clearly an anxiety that he has. So it makes sense that only he would be the one remembering this. And he's so nervous. He's like rearranging the sick bay because he doesn't want her to like judge how he has the sick bay even. 
Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, I think it's really funny that everyone in Julian's life knows about this anxiety too. And I am a hundred, I'm sure. Okay. I am sure that he told Dax and I am sure that he told Miles and I am sure that both of those people told everyone else. Um, I don't, I don't trust Dax with a secret for like to save my life. Um, and I feel like Miles would tell Keiko. <laughs> Um, I mean, so like, fair, it but doesn't also surprise Julian's me. not. Sorry, go ahead. Well, like, it doesn't surprise me that Quark knows. Is, is all I'm saying. Yeah. Well, and like, I mean, in fairness, Julian isn't the like most private person. Um, like, how many times has he stole the preganglionic fiber for a postganglionic nerve story? Um, <laughs> and like, I... yeah, I think I think that this episode kind of un- unpeels kind of why Julian acts the way he he has earlier in terms of you know how our how our anxieties can can drive us to like certain behaviors to overcompensate but you know it's it's six of one half a dozen of the other right yeah i just think um i'm obsessed with the idea that dax is a gossip so that's where it's coming from in like a like i don't think she would tell someone like a secret that matters but like this is very like something you can tease your buddy about. Oh, that person that makes you nervous is coming. Like that's like not a big deal to me. I mean, obviously it's a big deal to Julian, but in the grand scheme of things, I really enjoyed that after all of his anxieties and like he finally decides to like go to the bar when she's there and he gets up to go talk to Elizabeth and she walks right past him. And then he proceeds to get drunk with Miles because he's so upset about this. Um, <laughs> I've never seen two people this drunk on deep, on any Star Trek, I feel like. They were, like, trashed, singing, and, like, could barely stand up. It was very charming to me. Yeah, and I, and I think it's one of those, like, even if folks don't remember this episode or the details specifically, it's one of those... Um, not foundational what what's the word i'm trying to say one of those key key moments in the the bashir o'brien friendship that that people remember and iris Stephen bear who is the executive producer showrunner at this point um had a habit of, he'd always pick certain scenes that he would like you know become personally invested in and help craft and you know things like that and this this was this was one of them and partially why he he liked it and wanted to be a part of crafting it so much is because it was very not next generation in in tone even to the point where cole meany commented later that quote we were a bit concerned about it it was the first time the sort of scene was ever done in starfleet or federation situation we're all supposed to be so well behaved and we are aware it was a bit risky so it was a lot of question of like playing it right um and like ira talks about tng doing a lot of good things but sometimes being maybe a little bit too self-serious and you know we have (laughs) drunk starfleet officers singing um english bar songs jerusalem (laughs) so like it it really works for me and it's just interesting to go back to that point in time when it seemed kind of radical for for the franchise and things like that i was just gonna say it also really worked for me um part of it is from i mean obviously the fact that O'Brien and um, 
<clears throat> Bashir are from regions of the earth that are similar or near each other. <laughs> I'm not trying to like say that Ireland and uh, England are the same thing or anything, but it makes sense to me that those characters would like have the same bar songs in some respects also. So like they have not I'm not so I'm trying not to like offend anyone here. Like they have probably a similar culture, not the same culture as opposed to two people from different countries or different planets. Like that are far away from each other. Yeah, and like kind of sharing on that kind of familiarity in in suggesting, you know, they they sing Jerusalem. It was because originally the show was considering doing either Rocket Man or Louie Louie, and they're like, well, those are probably too expensive for this this one scene to get the rights. So you're exactly right. Colm and and Sadig were like, well, this is a song you would hear in a pub in in england so let's let's go for that i will say that if they sang rocket man i probably would not have forgotten this episode <laughs> like otherwise <laughs> that is something that would have stuck with me for sure it is really fun how they're so drunk that julian's like i'm we should go sing this in the bar for everyone <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um and then miles is trying to like guess why this woman ignored julian and he was like i think she's in love with you like they don't even know each other <laughs> and then wow. miles is just giggling to himself which was really funny um because he knows i think what he said was ridiculous but this brings me to some serious conversation that they had, even though they were both drunk. And Miles says to Julian that people either love or hate him, um, which I think is something that's probably true about Julian. Um, and then he says, and this was so sweet, I hated you when I first met you, but now I don't. Like, Bro could not say, I love you, to his friend. He had to be like, I don't hate you. <laughs> yeah. It was very funny. So I just, as we said already, this really shows how we could build things up in our minds um, and make things kind of worry about things more than we ought to. And we find out once Julian's sober and finally goes up to his uh, supposed nemesis, that she doesn't even know who he is. Um, she thought he was Andorian because four years ago at a party, her friend pointed him out and he was with an Andorian friend of his. And so she thought that the friend was Julian. <laughs> I really appreciated the like easy explanation of why she didn't know him. Yeah. And I do like that we see that Julian has made really... He was... It's like it almost also vindicates his choice to be on Deep Space Nine. Not that that's something that needs to be vindicated, but like he know, I think he can see that he made the right choice in in what he wanted to do because she even says that sometimes she regrets not taking this job from him because she was valedictorian. She probably could have gotten first pick. Yeah, and like I think that's where some of like the the insecurity and the nervousness like comes from, where it's like things ended up playing out the way they did and you know julian's quite happy and, and content and he got what he wanted but there's that insecurity right of like it could have been taken away from him yep though i think hopefully now he is secure in his choice and realizes that you know that was four years ago so it can't be taken from him now 
Unless he fucks up, but that's not what kind of show this is. All right. How about that A plot? I loved it. I want to know how long it took Ben to make this. Um, I, I'm going to infer it was a couple weeks because when the the episode opens and we have that scene with, with Julian about the Lexington coming and lead and everything else, we find out that the Lexington's docking in a couple weeks and oh, we have it. that we have that montage. We're gonna need a montage, <laughs> montage of of Cisco building the ship, and then right. the other stuff happening like concurrently. So I kind of three three four weeks I, or whatever it was. I think I missed the line at the beginning, so that probably explains that. Um, so Ben is has been on Bajor, and he returns with plans for a solar sail ship that the Bajorans supposedly used. 800 years ago so like before humans were flying even like in the air (laughs) at all Bajorans were supposedly um doing space trips and Ben is super interested in history and really just wants to prove that this is something that actually happened because supposedly it had gone all the way to Cardassia which the Cardassians are trying to say is not true even Miles and, and Jadzia find it unlikely that it's That's true. true. That's true. And then, um, of course, Kira is, like, defensive, but, like, in a fun way. Like, she's not getting too upset about it or anything, which I think is kind of out of character for her. <laughs> um, but she's like, of course, you sound like a Cardassian. And then he, he accuse then miles accuses her of sounding like a romulan because he's like the romulans want to just pretend that they invented everything um i just i really i like the idea of someone building something that is supposed to be old and seeing if it was if it could work like just that alone is enough plot for me um it's really cute he wants jake to come with him but jake's lady friend is coming back to deep space nine and i think I love that Jake, like, thought about it and was like, you know what? I'll go with my dad. And I don't think I realized this at the time, but it's, like, the perfect time for him to talk to his dad about his writing and stuff like that. Yeah, and even, like, Jake recognizing how important it was to to Ben for him to go and how that would be a perfect opportunity to have that conversation with his dad about his acceptance into like the Pennington school and share his Maquis novella. I also thought that was, that was a fun joke, that fun bit there. Oh yeah. Um, I liked that too. I thought Jake has a really funny sense of humor. It showed it's a marker or a milepost in terms of here we are new, almost done season three that Jake is, is growing up and it, it, it's a symbol of, his like increased like emotional maturity right as as he he ages and things like that and i think one of the smartest decisions that deep space nine made was not making jake wesley crusher 2.0 and you know we we don't know you know where where jake's future is going in terms of whether he he will or won't eventually go to, to pennington and things like that but like him having a passion other than just becoming another Starfleet officer is, I think, another one of the ways that DS9 kind of sets itself apart, right? Because even, and spoilers for the back half of Star Trek Voyager, their teen character wants to join Starfleet, right, Ejeb? So. Yeah, I think that Jake's 
interests are more interesting to me than those other Star Trek children. One thing that I really enjoyed with Ben making this ship is that he wanted to use the same tools that the <clears throat> Bajorans used. Um, you know, Miles is like, why don't you use a laser cutter or whatever? And he's like, no, I don't really, I don't really want to. I want to do it the same exact way. Um, and even Jadzia comments that he, he did an exact replica on parts that have nothing to do with whether it's like space worthy of that. space. Yeah. Of space travel. And I think that that is just really charming. And I love Ben. It's, it's kind of funny to me that they have miles being you know kind of a a negative nancy about you know cisco doing this ship he's like oh you could just do a computer model or blah 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 because in the original story idea from hillary j bader the story featured miles not ben and jake building this old ship and and you know, t- testing to see if it was space worthy and everything else. And then it was in, in discussions with the producers and like the writer's room on the story pitch that they would make it the, the father and son episode. Um, and then Renee Chavara, who's the, the credited screenwriter on Bader's story idea was, he's the one who integrated and suggested that the solar sails, right. Instead of just some, another old spaceship with, with primitive engines and then Ron Moore, as they were crafting the story in the writer's room, suggested the tie-in to, you know, the Bajoran history and everything else. So I think it's a really good, tangible example of how a writer's room works, right? And how they, they break stories, take a pitch from an outside writer, then the writer's room crafts it, build on, builds on the ideas, et cetera, et cetera. So even though Renee is the only credited screenwriter of the episode. Um, it's definitely like a, a group process in a television series writer's room. So you're saying that there, I was going to go on like a joke tangent about a tour theory, which I'm not going to do. You can just fill in the blanks. <laughs> it's a Teamwork team project. the dream work. Yes, exactly. So before we get into a little bit more about Jake's concerns in leaving his dad alone. I want to comment that I do not f- understand how a zero gravity toilet would work. Um, I just feel like that is not something I ever want to have to think about in my life. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what it looks like on like the ISS or like the space shuttle or whatever. But it's it's been a moment since I was like a super NASA head. But hey. Those exist in real life too. So if you wanna yeah. if you wanna find out Elise or dear listeners, that information is out the, there. The funny thing is when I was a kid, the idea of being an astronaut was like the coolest thing that you could possibly want to do when you grow up. Like that was the thing. And I was always very interested in that, but then I remembered that I'm claustrophobic and that I would be which is kind of funny since I went on a cruise this year. Um, it was free, f- people. I did not buy a cruise. Um, I won it. And yeah, claustrophobia is going to keep me from ever needing a zero-gravity toilet. And maybe that's not a bad thing. So while Jake's debating on going away for this writing program that he's been accepted to, he at first says that he doesn't want to leave his dad alone because he'll have no one. Um, and I, at first, I'm like, that's silly because it's, I mean, I get it, but also like, 
it's not our responsibility to like make sure that our parents that are fully able to take care of themselves are not alone. Like I do think that if Ben needed extra help, then that is a valid concern. But you know, Ben's pretty capable. So I do realize that halfway through, I was like, okay, he's really just saying this to prompt him with the I've met someone that wants to meet you thing. <laughs> um, there's nothing wrong with obviously like staying to help your parents. But I do think that people need to live their lives, especially if, you know, if your parents are able to take care of themselves, then, you know, Jake's too young to be worrying about that. Um, eventually, I think he just admits that he's going to wait because he needs more life experience, which is something that Cisco drills into his head. But I don't know. I feel like I have mixed feelings about that. I don't know that it matters right now, though. Um, One thing that I liked, though, with Jake being on the ship is that Ben was getting frustrated, I guess, as things started to go wrong with, um, you know, things were hitting the sails or whatever. I didn't really pay attention that much to the the techno babble of what was happening, but I appreciated Jake's attitude in the like, let's see what we can do to fix this rather than to like let his dad go down the, oh, I guess we have to call them for help. Like, let's turn around. Um, and I just felt like Jake really wanted his dad's plan to succeed, and that made me feel really good. Yeah, yeah for sure. For sure. I want to know when Ben's going to go on a date with this freighter captain, though. I need to know. <laughs> well, um, the the nice thing is, is, is as we've discussed before, TNG is becoming more and more serialized with those those threads carrying over. So it's entirely possible we may at some point you mean this freighter captain. You mean DS nine? What did I say? <laughs> you TNG? said TNG. <laughs> Oops, mea culpa. I meant, I of course meant DS nine. Um, I really enjoyed how this episode ended, where Ducat like. Oh, well, me, I'm getting a little bit of ahead, of ahead of myself. So the ship gets kind of lost and they don't know where they are and they can't get in touch with the station, which is very alarming. But then a bunch of Cardassian um, ships show up and they think something bad is happening. And Ducat was basically just like, congratulations, you made it to the Cardassia system. And so whatever was going on with the technobabble earlier made them skip the part of the travel that would have been the worst. Like it like jumped over the Genorius belt, which you may remember is where Odo was found. But yeah. And then Cardassians had to admit that they know that they know that Bejar did this flight back in the day. And they were like, oh, yeah, we just found this um, proof of that. What a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I will say that Mark Alemo reading that, like, message to them was very funny to me. Um, he is really good at the, like, no, wait, stop, it's bad. Like, he's really good at the, like, pretending something is <laughs> really happening when it's not. Like, he obviously, they've known the whole time. I don't know. I just, I don't know what that's called, but, like, his his line reading of that is very funny to me. Was there anything else you wanted to speak to on the the A plot? I don't think so. Anything from you? Nope. Uh, let's 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 move on. All right. Well, now it's time for the Altair Water Thirst Quencher. Altair Water first being mentioned by Doctor McCoy in Star Trek Three. 
So, Elise, I will start the segment, as I always do. Who are you thirsting for this week? I want to know more about Lita. She's hot. Um, And not to, like, spoil it, because I do want to... We already said she comes back. If I didn't know that this was the first time that they met, I would have been like, are they doing, like, a prearranged, like, role play? Like... Like that scene in um in Mad Men where Don like pretends to like pick up Betty in Italy, and I think season three. Um, it just felt like prearranged, even though it completely was not. And that it was hot. I loved it. What about you? Before we we get into that, I did just want to talk about Chase Masterson a little bit, who plays Lita. She originally auditioned to play Marta, Jake's girlfriend from the earlier episode of the season, The Abandoned, which was directed by Avery Brooks. But when he saw her, he decided that she was too old to be the girlfriend of a 16-year-old, which, fair. Yeah, I think um, that was a good call, honestly. Yeah. And yeah, when Masters, Masterson returned to play play Lita this week, it was originally intended to be a one-episode character, but as we have mentioned and alluded to before, we do, we do see her again, so excited for that. In terms of who I'm thirsting for this week, I did like Jadzia being a little, a little bit of a brat, a little bit of a scamp, after Julian <laughs> gives her the, uh, the go-away... Right. the go away uh a pad there she's like okay i'll go oh by the way just drops that the bomb that the lexington's yep. coming and then walks away and then julian runs after it's cute um and yeah i also like julian playing along with with lita it was yeah it was fun i um i feel like i misspoke earlier i had read your notes about um chase masterson coming back and like said oh yeah we already said that she she comes back but we didn't we hadn't said it before you read it i just had read it before i said it if that (laughs) if that makes any sense (laughs) sorry i don't know why that had to like rhyme a little bit but whatever elise what is your candidate for most star trek thing my mom called me extremely cynical for saying this, but, like, I do think that the episode would have been way more expensive to film if they hadn't, if Ben had not said, oh, yeah, I installed that anti, that gravity thing because weightlessness makes me not queasy or whatever he says. And I'm like, okay, I get it. Um, It would have been really expensive to, like, film them, like, floating around <laughs> in there. So just adding something in to like make it easier to film yeah not only like cost like we're making tv here so it's time right like you yeah only for so sure. many budgeted days and if you wanted to do like a whole like weightlessness weightlessness rig for you know a solid part of the episode like that's gonna take more time and be more expensive and time is money and so like yeah i don't know if it's cynical i i respectfully disagree marcy um it is it is what it is like these are the considerations when you're making a show that factor in um and i and i i was gonna say it's not like they haven't done a thing something like that before they had um the episode that lazie and tessa were both on were the woman that needed extra melora melora thank you from the from the low gravity planet yeah, I almost said Lenora, but I like knew that wasn't right. But yeah, so it's like they've done that sort of thing before. So they they don't shy away from it when it's necessary. Yeah, and I think too, like it it's necessary to the story, and it was only one scene and one sequence. It, like how like 
yeah. a solid like third of this episode is is on the the solar sailor right so i think i think it's definitely like a good hand wave and like they acknowledge it and we we move on right so yeah i thought it was clever did you have a different most star trek thing uh no no not not this week nope in the meantime elise where can folks find more of you on the internet Yes, you can find me on Twitter, Letterboxd, and Storygraph at chicken double underscore tendi, T-E-N-D-I. Yeah, you can find me on Letterboxd as well at at Mattahue, M-A-T-T-H-U-G-H. You can catch us together on Twitter and Instagram at podrace, and you can also email us at podrace at gmail.com. Please remember to rate and review us on the podcatching system of your choice. Thank you again to our editor, Melissa, and DJ Empirical for our interstellar theme song. And until next week, computer and program. Bye. Bye.